Hello and welcome to First Act, a podcast from Koshi's Business Builders. I'm Seth Busby. And I'm Adam Bubb. Between us, we have nearly 40 years of experience interviewing some of the world's most inspiring and influential people, from pop stars to politicians, celebrities to CEOs and ordinary people doing extraordinary things. We love a good story here on First Act, don't we? Now, in this podcast, we pull back the curtain on what motivates Australia's most innovative business founders and how they got to where they are today. The trials, the tribulations, the light bulb moments. This is First Act. Now, today we're joined by Stephen Hunt, founder of Hunt Hospitality and author of Find, Build, Sell, How I Turned a $100 Backyard Bar into a 100 Million Pub Empire. Now, from Hamilton to Nelson Bay to Port Macquarie, if you live in the Hunter or the Mid-North Coast, chances are you've been in one of Stephen's pubs. From a backyard business idea to seven venues and some 300 employees, Stephen's story is an inspiration to anyone with entrepreneurial dreams. And we're really excited to have him on the show today. Stephen, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Seth. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, look, cheers. First up, it would be wrong for me not to give you give a cheers right from the start. Um, to kick things off, we've got a little thing we've, we're calling the first act icebreaker. Uh, all good conversations start with an icebreaker. So, Stephen, your icebreaker for today's chat is, drum roll, if I gave you $100 right now, what would you do with it and why? I would probably give it to my kids. I've got I've got five kids, so that's only twenty bucks each. <laughs> they'd, they'd probably invest it in in lollies and you know candy, but um, I'd probably give it to my kids. How how old are your kids? Like what what's the age bracket? Yeah, so it goes uh, twenty one down to seven. Right, because so, when you said invest, I was wondering whether you're going to say one of them's going to invest it in an app or something. Invested in a, <laughs> some <you> Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I, actually we do um, with the kids. We try and teach them about charity work and we're setting up a foundation. So I'd be hoping that they would um, invest. Well, no, it's not really an investment, I guess, that they would put the money back into a charity. We're sort of looking at uh, charities and sporting teams and as well as university scholarships and, and that's something that we're trying to um, instil in, in our kids, you know, to, to give back to the community. So I probably would give it to them to to uh, put into one of those, you know. See who'd been listening to your advice about paying it forward and who actually bought lollies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's a test. <laughs> look, if you if you're seven, look, I guess lollies are probably on high in your priority list. Uh, you know, they've got time to absorb the message. Let's consider the ice broken and uh, and get cracking. So, Stephen, when you were a child. What did you want to be when you grew up? Uh, was it a pub pub mogul? Well, initially, uh, I, I just wanted to have a company. So when I was about, I think it was about eight, I'd seen all these people who had their own company. Didn't really know what it was, but I kind of knew that they were their own boss. And then as I got a little bit older, I met some uh, influential people who were publicans and one of them was my great uncle in Tamworth. His name's Joe Maguire, and, and uh, that's the name of his pub. And I met him a few times when I was really young, like probably ten actually. And he was just such a strong character. He was just a he was just a really nice, polite gentleman. And then I met some other publicans a few years later, and they just seemed to have this uh, real love of people. And I thought, you know, 
then as I got a little bit older, then I kind of thought, oh, and we had lots of parties at home, like every good person, teenager, when the parents are away. And um, <laughs> things evolved from that, you know, then I started working in a pub. And, but initially it was to own a company, regardless of what that was at the time. So. So now a little bird told me that one of your first jobs was as a dish pig. So that's really starting at the bottom of the ladder. What did you think starting as someone like a dish pig in a pub has actually taught you about the pub business? I, I didn't actually mind the job. I had no uh, airs and graces. I was, I was really happy to have a job. Uh, and, and, you know, so washing plates and you know, cutler and everything else, that was the starting point. So you have to start somewhere. And I was, um, yeah, I was just, like I said, I was just happy to be working. And then a promotion then was from dish pig to glassy and then from glassy to uh, the next level up was barman. And then if you worked in the bottle shop, that was considered a bit of a step up as well. So starting at the bottom is really good because you get to know every aspect of the business. Yeah, it's a good training ground, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you just if you just dig in and get into it, you know, the opportunities to grow will happen. You have to look for them, though. Like you have to put your hand up and go, oh, I want to learn about, you know, the seller or some other part of the business. It could be, could be chefing or something else. So um, you've got to keep your eyes open so you can move, move up the ladder, I guess. Mm. So how far along into that journey were you when you were like, actually, this is for me, I want to go out there and find a venue for myself and what was that first venue and how did you find it and where did that love story come from? So I went to London in, I won't say the the year because it will make me sound really old, Um, but uh, like, you know, the rite of passage where everyone um, travels over the UK and travels around Europe. And I got a job in a bar there in South Kensington and I really enjoyed it. My boss there was a really hard guy but he he taught me a lot about the business and um, because I was on such a low wage, uh, when I came back to Australia I was like I've got to get uh, an education in this industry if I'm going to go anywhere because despite the fact I loved it in the UK, I was making, to give you an example, a pint cost two pounds and I was making two pounds 70 an hour. Oh, my gosh. So, and I spent every cent on my day off, so, um, or every every pence on my day off. So, well, you're um, in London, you know, like you, <laughs> you had to. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I had to, had to enjoy the nightlife. And then, so when I came home, I was like, well, I, I would like to manage, uh, a hotel or, you know, eventually own one. So um, I kept my study going and then uh, I actually got a couple of jobs in hospitality that that weren't that challenging because I wanted to make sure I got through my study and I had time. So I was pretty much working full-time and studying full-time. And then um, I was fortunate enough to be backed by my family into the Thurless Castle Hotel, which is in Chippendale in Sydney. And it was interesting, that experience, because effectively you go, I went from being a boy to a man because it was my name on the door and I literally had to do everything in the business. So I had to order stock, take the deliveries, do the rosters, look after the finance. Um, you know, our chefs said, oh, look, we want to have a day off. 
So I said, okay, teach me how to cook. So I used to cook on the Mondays. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's one of those things where we just we couldn't afford it. So, you know, the show goes on. So, you know, show must go on. So then um, our cleaners said, oh, we want to put our prices up. And I said, okay, we'll just clean ourselves. Um, So that, again, was reinforcing knowing every aspect of the business. So as my confidence grew as a manager, so did the business. And it's interesting because people talk about uh, marketing budgets and, you know, different things that we obviously have now, but we didn't have one then. So how how we got entertainment into the venues was uh, we call it the beer economy. So we actually paid people with beer and food and we had a soccer team of Brazilian guys who used to come in and and so we sort of sponsored the team and, you know, we paid for their jerseys. And then they said, oh, we've got some friends who are musos. Do you mind if we come in on a Saturday night? And I said, well, sure can, but, you know, we're, we're paying them um, with beer and, you know, food. And and that went from having like 30 people in the beer garden to courtyard, I should say, to, to 60. So um, great, great lessons learned at a young age about how you can survive and, and eventually sort of thrive in the industry. It's amazing the power of the two words free beers and what that can do to <laughs> the, the seed that that can plant, uh, you know, uh, that's that, you know, that demonstrated right exactly in what you've said. So, Absolutely. And, it's, you know, free being a four-letter word and beer being a four-letter word, you know, they're two, two of everyone's favourites. <laughs> so obviously you, you've talked about Chippendale being that, kind of starting point and you're you're from the Newcastle Hunter region uh, of New South Wales. Uh, actually I grew up in Sydney and then moved to Newcastle after I got a lot of experience in pubs in Sydney. Yeah, so I've been here for over 20 years now. So I, I consider myself a, uh, we're in the Hunter Valley now, so I consider myself a bit of an overcastrian or a, uh, uh, um, a Hunter Valleyite, if you can call that now. So. <laughs> yeah, well, you're very proud of it and your empire really is, you know, you, you've kind of built it really around that uh, the Hunter region of New South Wales, among the vines, among the wines. Uh, but as an entrepreneur, you, you could really have taken your ideas, ideas anywhere. You could, have, you could have stayed in Sydney or you could have gone to other cities. Why, have you, why is that region particularly uh, special to you? Well, where we live, like all in one day, you can actually... You can go to the beach in the morning and then you can go to the vineyards and then you can actually see like a a play or an international sporting event and then you can see the whales swimming or dolphins in um, Nelson Bay and you can do all of that in one day. So when I first came in here, I like came here, I just just fell in love with the area and it's something that we don't advertise as much as we should um, because that's pretty remarkable. There's not many places in the world that you can you can do that. So obviously, when I, when I came here, I was like, "This is it. You know, this is a great place." And probably down the track, we'll look at we're looking at a franchise model. So that's probably when we'll have growth in different areas. So you're talking about the specialness of the area, but um, I'm guessing there's also something special about the community because pubs are often the heart of a community. And so I'm wondering when you're developing a venue or when you're looking for a new venue to, to buy and turn around, how much do you consider the community? How much do you consult with the locals? And 
is creating that sense of community a, an essential part of your business plan from the very beginning? Oh, absolutely. So when we do our due diligence, we sort of uh, put the pub we're looking at in the middle of the map and then measure probably one to two kilometres around that and we actually look at the demographic of the people in the area uh, and being a bit of a sporting tragic, we look at the sporting clubs and generally what I do to start with is, uh, and I did this in Maitland and it worked out really well, I've contacted the Historical Society of Maitland because what I was looking at was, you know, what is the heritage of these people? And um, funnily enough, my oldest brother sent me a press clipping and it was my great-grandfather who got married in the local church just down the road from uh, where we live and we didn't know that at the time, so it's almost like we've come full circle. But in that DD, we look at the community group. So I always like to be on a Chamber of Commerce uh, and get my GMs to join the Chamber of Commerce. We do a significant amount with um, Variety Charity and the Westpac Rescue Helicopter. And then also we do a lot of smaller charities, you know, where people are a bit down on their luck and, you know, someone's having surgery because you can have a really positive influence. And then sporting clubs, uh, I love them. So I'm fortunate enough to be on the Wildfires um, Rugby Board. And the exciting thing about that sporting club is... Um, we're new to the Sydney competition. So we're trying to build pathways for the younger kids from the country to actually play in that uh, really special, strong um, competition. Um, so that's that's a really interesting project at the moment. And my local club, um, just to give you an example of what they give back, so when we were shut for COVID, we could only sell food and beverage takeaways and so we had bifold windows. So we were selling through the windows and we uh, decided to do a community day and we contacted the rugby club and said, oh, guys, we're actually going to do this community day tomorrow. We're going to do discounted meals. And that was on the Wednesday. And on the Thursday, we opened the window up and because of what they did and the promotions they did, we actually sold 300 meals. So... For me, it's always if you look after the community, and that was tough times, they, they look after you. And it's never been an intention to say, oh, let's see what we can get out of them. It was just something that we feel is an obligation to do, but because we do that, um, they seem to look after us. It's a very organic kind of relationship that you have to have with the community. You can't kind of just bulldoze in with a, with any business or, or just plonk a business down and go... Uh, we're not, you know, we, we are just bricks and mortar. We don't have the soul of a, a community with us. So I think that is that, that's such an important point you made about really embedding yourself. And, and I think it comes from you wanting to be a part of it and being in that community yourself, doesn't it? Oh, for sure. Yeah, and you can't. It's, it's time as well, you know, so it's helping, especially with sporting club, well, even with Chambers of Commerce, Um you know, just it's the time you put in. So we actually had, um, I was on a Chamber of Commerce in Newcastle and I was the public officer for I think it was like 15 years and we had a the Confucian Institute, it's a mouthful, 50-year uh, celebration and the Chamber said, Steve, because you are here every week and you contribute so much and you've got a good position, we want to set the stage up where we had these beautiful dragons and dancers and it was really good across from the pub. 
And in that particular day, we had close to 19,000 people come to the festival and I'm pretty sure we had about 8,000 come through the door doors of the pub. And, you know, so it was, a, it was an awesome trade day. We actually had the Lord Mayor and Police Commissioner and, you know, state and federal politicians that we held a function for. And that wouldn't have happened if I wasn't giving to the Chamber. So, you know, it's, it's the time spent as well, you know, not just signing a cheque and, and, and throwing it at people. It's actually taking the next step and just uh, getting stuck right in. So, And you were recently named New South Wales Business Leader of the Year. Uh, so what is, how do you think that plays into, uh, I, mean, I guess when we're talking about leadership, we've talked about community, but then also being a leader, what do you think makes a good leader? I think a, a, a good leader uh, has to be a really multi-skilled individual. So I think they've got it for me in pubs, it's like I love my job and I love my day because I can be talking to our cleaners in the morning and then, you know, at lunchtime we have, uh, you know, business people coming for lunch and then you have your tradies come in at, you know, 3 o'clock and then that builds to, you know, families coming in for dinner and then you have your late-night revellers. And I think being a good leader, you have to be able to communicate with people at all levels and you have to really set a really positive example for your team. So I think they're, they're, they're probably, and obviously you've got to love your job. You know, it's it's so important to actually work in an industry that you enjoy and actually find what within that industry, the position that you really enjoy. Yeah, um, you've just touched on it, like loving your job. And I imagine for a lot of people, being a publican would be a dream job, but it's probably not just about having beers 24-7, is it? Oh, no. It's, it's funny. It's amazing how many people say, I'd love to have my own, you know, pub or cafe or restaurant. And the first question I ask them is, what, what is your experience? And they're kind of like, oh, you know, I worked in a bar when I was 18 or 19. And I, I, my, my advice to them is, if you really want to do it, then go and work for someone for six months in the industry. And then you'll kind of understand more about the business and also um, work with the best people you can because that will give you the best lessons and, and teach you the best practices. And none of them none of them do it. Like they just, they just don't do it. And I've advised a few people uh, who've done well in their industries and who want to throw the towel in and try hospitality. And generally speaking, I would say to them, look, think long and hard about it because you've worked really hard for your money but this is a very, very uh, different industry and it can be tough at times. You know, for instance, COVID was really tough. You have to answer to, you know, tax law at the federal level, state laws to do with licensing, local councils, um, all, all sorts of different offices. Um, so it's, you know, generally speaking, I'd say get your experience first and then think about after that, make your decision. So you've talked about some of the challenges that you might face when your business is ongoing, but what might you face when you're starting a business, when you're trying to get a business off the ground? Well, I think you've got to get your finances right. Like you've got to have a, you know, a big treasure chest of cash there because uh, to start off with, you generally don't have a lot of income coming in. Um, so that's really important. The next thing you'd be looking at is your trading term because 
there's a lot of stakeholders involved in the business. So you've got your suppliers. They really want you to perform well because you sell more of their product. Um, and then they obviously, they employ more people who drive the trucks to do the deliveries. And then we sell more product and then we have more, uh, you know, staff on the roster. So that's a benefit for that. Um, and getting your trading terms right because, like I said, if you can get an extra, like we're cash flow positive. So we get the kegs in on a Monday and we sell it, you know, on the Monday and then we don't have to pay that for a couple of weeks. So um, probably getting a handle on your finances and knowing how much money you will have and when you, you know, have to pay your bills, getting the cash flow analysis. Uh, and then, you know, once you've got that, then obviously that's tapping straight into the local community. So... Um, I guess that's probably the most, the two most important things: cash flow, and then seeing how you can actually get more, build your patronage up. You've written a book about your experiences as a pub mogul, find, build, sell. Now, what motivated you to put your story down on paper? Well, it was quite interesting because I was talking to a few people, and when you're just focusing on your day to day, and you don't really think about what you've done in the past. And when I was just talking to a few friends, they said, you should put that down on paper, you know, because that's quite an interesting story. And then I also love helping people. So I was kind of like uh, I learned by a lot of experience. I've had some really good mentors over the years. But when I actually wrote the book, I thought, geez, I hope this can be helpful to young people in any industry or even older people might be able to learn something uh, you know, from it that, that helps them in their careers. So that was kind of that was the process and, and hopefully it is helpful. In, in your book, you look, it is all about really helping people from that, like from the, like the seed of an idea, you know, from, from, right, from kind of developing that idea, figuring out how viable that is to, you know, raising money to what happens if you've, you know, built up a business when you want to sell a business. You kind of run through that entire life cycle of business uh, but it, it's really interesting. I want to just go back to something that you said before about how you had that idea when you were at, at the age of eight. Uh, you knew you wanted to own something. Now, I think I probably wanted to own a dinosaur at that age. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, Jurassic Park was all the rage. Um, yeah. still, still awesome, in my opinion. Uh, but you are... On that idea of entrepreneurship, because you obviously knew from a young age there was something in you uh, that that was that was part of your development. Uh, do you think that people are born with entrepreneurship, like within them, or is it something that can be learnt? Uh, I think it, I don't know. I think it can be learnt. You know, you can teach people different skills and how to look at situations differently. Um, definitely, but. Just to give you a bit of background, earlier I was always a dreamer. So when I was quite young, you know, I went from wanting to be an astronaut, uh, actually did a project at school and I think I was, actually it was when I was eight and I just started uh, researching all about the planets and I did a project in a scrapbook and gave it to my teacher and they were like, oh, okay. And then um, when the Olympics happened in Los Angeles, so that was 94, I got a scrapbook because I love sport and literally cut out the articles. So I think I went from wanting to be an astronaut to a sportsman and then to a stuntman. So, and my brothers <laughs> my brothers and sisters, you know, it would be something new every couple of years and then I'd be off researching. So I guess I've always, 
and apparently, I don't really recall this that often, but I'd always say to my oldest brother, imagine, imagine this or imagine that, you know what I mean? So it was one of those, um, I probably had that entrepreneurial entrepreneurial nature, but also uh, suffering from ADHD, I think that's just par for the course because your brain's just going at a million miles an hour and jumping forward to where I am now, I think I've got a great team of hyper people, but they're great executors. So I'll come up with an idea and then we'll research and they'll just go, yep, we can do that one. And then a few days later, I'm like, how about this idea? And then, so, um, yeah, I think it's probably born, you're probably born with it, but you still can learn it. There's great courses where you can do entrepreneurship and innovation. So, you know, you can be taught uh, some of it, definitely. But it definitely comes from having that, big thinking and that dreaming element to it that's so important and it's so it's it's an interesting one because that's the thing you find people who've got really fantastic ideas but it's all in the execution and it's all about in the confidence and 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 building that up uh, one of the areas that you you touch on in the book is uh, about pitching to investors uh is that something that comes naturally to you and, and like again like i guess there's a lot of people who have those big ideas but find it really hard to 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 sell themselves or to really back them I think it, um, it actually it comes from building confidence. So we're not born with confidence. It's something you have to nurture and grow. So what I do and did when I was younger, if I was getting anxious about a pitch, I would think about things that I've been successful in and sort of almost package it up inside myself so that when I was talking to people, they go, oh, this guy's he's really confident. You know, he's um, and, and really... Know your product. Uh, I once saw this really funny thing about, you know, a sales team and I think it was vacuum cleaners or something like that and they had the, the number one uh, seller of the vacuum cleaners and they were really excited and it was at a conference and, you know, there are hundreds of these salespeople there and the guy got up on stage and they said, um, why are you the best salesman? And he just said, because I know more about vacuum cleaners than anyone else and literally walked off the stage. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> knowing the product is is essential and then, like I mean, really knowing it and you want to surround yourself with some really uh, brutally cynical people and get them to fire questions at you. So once you have the answers to that, you can, you know, you can really um, sell your pitch. So in 30 years you must probably know your product pretty darn well. I'm just wondering... What has changed over that time? How has hospitality changed for better or worse in those three decades, making you sound old? (laughs) I I think it's changed for the better. I think it's been phenomenal. When I actually got promoted to being a barman, there was probably only six buttons on the point of sale, like on the till. You know, you had your Tui's New and, like, there was four other drinks and maybe rum after 10 o'clock at night. And We've come now, a long way. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, now you have, you know, so many great products, you know, these ready-to-drink products. People love cocktails. You have to know how to make coffee. Uh, the food is such a good quality now. Like you've almost got to be a, at restaurant standard. Um, sports bar, I love a sports bar. You know, people go to the pub and they watch a lot of different sporting events, which you didn't really do as often. Um, back then it's accommodation is really good you know and it's interesting when 
when a competitor does a lot of work to their business down the road from us, I actually get excited because it means we have to up our game and then what happens with that is there's a flow-on for that in that the industry improves and then that means more people come to the pub. So, um, yeah, it certainly changed a long way. People, you know, uh, you know, different styles, um, you know, there's lots of different people who come to pubs now. So the changes have been endless and exciting. Exactly. And you can, I mean, you know, that's about embracing competition. And like you were saying, lots of different types of people are coming to pubs. You have people who, who don't even drink, who be who just want to be in a great environment and have good food with their friends. You know, it's not all about going to a pub for a beer or to watch sport. It's not, there are many reasons why you might go. Oh, absolutely. There's, yeah, you know, people come in. I love it when the pub is busy and you have, you know, people celebrating a, a sporting event win or a business deal and then you have entertainment at, um, uh, you know, bands playing and people dancing and then you have people sharing a meal and you have functions and you get a real buzz, you know what I mean? Like you, when I walk into a venue on a Saturday night and you can just see uh, all the different things that are inter- interacting under one roof, it's, it's, it's a real pleasure. So one of the biggest uh, changes for any business, um, especially over the past couple of years, has been to be really innovative. Um, and pubs, like they're seen as fairly traditional businesses. But I know you've been recognised for your digital guide, Shoeless Jack. Can you tell us a bit about this and, and how it's uh, switching things up? Yeah, so there's there's a lot of uh, traditions in the industry, and you actually touched on it, that, that sort of get lost. So there's not a lot of education that is done in a pub in a formal manner. You know, so you have a manager who's in his 40s and he teaches like a 20-year-old how to change a keg and then, you, you know, you learn your skills um, just through osmosis by being and watching. So what we try to do with uh, Jack is to, to effectively put all that down into an automated system. Even so much, and there's emotional intelligence as well as the practical side, it's like, how to actually greet people and when to know uh, not to talk to certain people. And um, there's a lot of that in Jack. We, we say it's the uh, what Alexa is to Amazon, you know, Jack is for the hospitality industry. Um, can I ask, how have you been dealing with the, the skills shortage, given that it's all over the news and it's especially impacting hospitality businesses? Uh, we've been quite lucky, Um in fact, over the COVID period, I think we lost two or three of our team. So um, what we actually do to keep the good team members is we always involve them in the decision-making process so they actually own, you know, what's happening in the business. And we're all a little bit egotistical because, you know, we go, oh, that was my idea, you know, or you come up with an idea and you, you sort of promote it so that it is, you know, successful. The other thing we did, which... Um, and we had started this just before, but we ramped it up, um, was an employee assistance program. So if people were suffering just through stress and, you know, they had decreased wages and all the uncertainty, we would send them off to a group of um, medical professionals who would offer them advice uh, basically about how, how to, to, to cope and how to sort of look after themselves. Um, so I think sort of in real layman's terms, they knew we had their back. So that probably, I think, contributed to people um, staying and working with us. Um, and we kept them all working the whole way through. So, you know, 
we, we put a survey out and said, do you have any other skills? And like a chef, he was the welder, so he came in and did some, you know, repairs and maintenance. And we had a young guy say, I want to uh, get involved in marketing. I'll finish my degree. So then he um, started, we introduced him to the marketing team. So um, I think that also assisted as well. That's so great that you took such an innovative approach and that you were able to keep your staff all on board while while this was all going on because it's been such a trying time for everyone and the fact that you instigated mental health programs to assist your staff to cope during that time is just really outstanding and I really applaud you for doing that because it, there's no doubt everyone's mental health has suffered during this pandemic. So can I ask what would be some other tips that you might have for business owners who are kind of struggling to get back on their feet after COVID? Oh, I think that they, what we do is we, we realise our job and everyone is slightly different, but we look at the business that our job is to make people's day and we know that when we do that through multiple uh, ways that then that takes care of sort of the next day and the next day and the next day, if you know what I mean. So you're always sort of, you can't really look too far ahead because you'll get lost and anxious, but it's, it's literally living in the present and doing the best that you can today with what you have because there's never a perfect time to do anything. You know, there's never going to be a time where everything falls into place. So it's really focusing on doing the best you can with what you have and then when you do that, you'll actually have more things that will come along and better things. That's so true. Like living in the present has become just one of those things that everyone has had to kind of really grapple with and go, you know what, you can't think about what's going to happen tomorrow. A few weeks from now, you just got to live in the now. Uh, when you think, when you kind of look back on your, you know, over your journey over the past 30 years in your career and, you know, with Hunt Hospitality and throughout the various phases you've been through, how has your attitude to work-life balance kind of changed and, and you know and what is but what have kind of become the the non-negotiables that you've you found in your life in, um, during that time um so having kids has been a great uh leveler for me we had kids pretty early my wife and I were married for a year and then we actually found out that um we found out that we were pregnant with our first child and after that, I had been working a lot, like seven days a week for a few years. So um, that was sort of a bit of a turning point. And then obviously the more kids we had, I literally had to draw a line in the sand and go, okay, I need some, I really need some family time. Um, so that was kind of, and, and probably for me, exercising a lot, like I allow, got a bit of a morning routine. So I allow myself to do that and then that actually ensures that I have a better day. Um, and what I mean by better is I just feel healthier. Uh, any challenges seem to be a bit easier. Um, so, but you've, you really, and I had to work hard on it, you know, because I'd jump on my computer at night and the tills were all connected so I could actually see how the pubs were performing and I could look at the CCTV and eventually my wife was like, you got to stop, that's it, no more. So, um yeah, it's 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 a difficult one, but you actually have to work hard. Well, I mean, it's one of those things that comes up a lot is about around exercise and wellness and really investing that in in yourself. That's what a lot of entrepreneurs say is like is is being able to kind of set that routine. But I would think that 
you know the temptation of having so much um you you know you've got you've got pubs you've got you have booze you've got all you know all kinds of things around you that could could tempt you to kind of go off track how do you keep that routine oh it's just it's a it's a big discipline i mean with the booze like publicans uh the really good ones don't really drink in their venues very often so and it's interesting because when i have new staff members who haven't worked in the industry you know, they might be an executive and they walk downstairs and go, oh, yeah, and they see lots of alcohol, but they're thinking it from the perspective of a customer and you actually have to really think about it from the perspective of a business person. So um, that certainly, you know, I walk downstairs because my office is upstairs and see all this booze and, it, it, it you know, I make sure they're doing things well, but um, it, I don't think about oh, wow, I should have a beer. It just it doesn't enter the equation. <laughs> That's good <laughs> because you've got a lot of venues and a lot of booze at hand. <laughs> yeah, that's right. All right, so finally, uh, I've got one more question for you. Uh, what would you tell your younger Stephen Hunt uh, back at the seed of you know when you when you first started you know with your with your business idea? What would you what would you tell him? What advice? Um, probably to look after myself a bit more than when I was younger. Um, you know, I, I probably got too busy with sport and recreational activity. So I just say, like, just it's okay. Like, just take it easy. Do you know what I mean? Just you're going to get there, but just sort of relax a bit more about it. Um, I think that's probably, you know, and I probably, so I didn't finish my Master's of Business until I was, uh, well into my 40s and then I had a trip to Harvard and I probably would have brought that in earlier, you know, if I had my time again. But I've just... <laughs> we would have brought it in earlier in the show if we'd known. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, well, yeah, it's a, like, that's the thing that all my mates were saying, get it down on paper because it was just evolution, do you know what I mean? So... Uh, yeah. But you know, you're, you're exactly as you're saying, you're like you're never too late to, you know, like to get. Like, that's the whole thing about first act, and that's what we love talking about here is that you've got this seed of an idea, and your path, the path that comes from that, can be really different and different for everybody, you know. And you're never too late to be able to really change that path and and come up with something new and and take your take your idea and turn it into something really big. Yeah, and I think you're right. There's time. I think people forget there is time. You don't have to rush at stuff. I think you nailed it. It's got to be focusing on what is unique to you, you know, like my family are accountants and that's something that I could not do uh, and chose not to do. And when I say my family, my mum, my dad, oldest brother, older sister, next brother, and then it hit me and I was like, um, I, I, I'm not going to do this. <laughs> so... Um, you know, I was more into hospitality and people and that was my skill. So chasing what you're unique at in any career, it's that's that's what, you know, and good helps being good at it, you know, so. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Stephen, so much. It's been great chatting to you today. To everybody else listening, join us again next week when we unpack another fascinating first act conversation. Thanks, Stephen. Awesome, guys. Thanks for having me. <laughs>